0: Welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life, produced by Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. Imagine having a disability that no one can see. Globally, one in seven people have a disability. And of those, 80% have disabilities that are invisible. In fact, that probably includes people you know and even work with. In this episode, we'll talk about neurodiversity, what it is, and what we can do to better understand, support, and celebrate our differences. Hi everyone, welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life. I'm Bob Peacock. The purpose of this podcast is to foster discussion, not to provide advice. The information shared in this podcast should never be used as an alternative to obtaining personalized advice from a healthcare professional and listeners should seek such advice independently if they have questions related to their physical or mental health. This podcast hosts different viewpoints, and the opinions of the speakers do not necessarily reflect the views of HPE. Hidden disabilities can include conditions like PTSD, depression, Crohn's disease, or even hearing and vision loss. But in this episode, we are specifically talking about neurodiversity, a word used to describe individuals with neurological and developmental differences. Perhaps you work with someone who is on the autism spectrum, or someone with ADHD or dyslexia, or perhaps that person is you. So as I was preparing for this episode, I started thinking about the word disability. I know it might be viewed as a negative term to some people, especially if you have a disability that affects major life activities, and yet it can't be seen. So a couple of nights ago, I was talking with my adult son who has Down syndrome, and I asked how he felt when people refer to him as being disabled. He thought about it for a couple of seconds, and then he said he prefers when people say he has Down syndrome rather than call him disabled. That makes perfect sense to me. Then I spoke to a close friend named Tina who has autism, and I asked her the same question. She's an accomplished business leader and an advocate for people with disabilities. And she explained that she isn't offended when people use the word disabled because in many countries like the U.S. and in India, that word provides legislative protection that allows her and others like her, to get the benefits and accommodations she needs to be more successful at school, in the workplace, in certain living situations, and even when traveling on an airplane with a service dog. But importantly, she says, I will always be Tina first. I say all this because in an attempt to be respectful, many of us have tried to move away from using words like disabled or disability because some feel those terms stigmatize and focus on our differences and perhaps even perpetuate the assumption that disability is a negative thing. Other self-advocates like my friend Tina, would say that disability is a neutral term that is simply part of her cultural identity. In fact, she says, there's an online movement called Hashtag Say the Word, which is an attempt to reclaim the word disability and encourage people to not be afraid to use it. Tim Shriver, chairman of Special Olympics, has yet another perspective. He created a new word that may may be more appropriate, diff-abilities, D-I-F abilities, because it's not about what we can't do. It's about recognizing that we all have different abilities. It's about celebrating each person's uniqueness and valuing each person's contributions. My guest today is author Ted Smith, who has researched and written many business leadership books and even children's books with proceeds going to very worthwhile charities. One such book that we'll be talking about today is titled Hidden Disabilities and Conditions, Creating an Inclusive Workplace. The profits of this book go to Macmillan Cancer Support, which is UK's leading source of cancer support. It's a book about the very real issues that many people with hidden disabilities face, especially in the workplace. The book provides tips to help managers know how to more effectively support people with these conditions, and it helps organizations become more aware of the accommodations needed to create happier, more productive employees. Ted, welcome. It's an honor to have you on the podcast.
1: Thank you, Bob. What a lovely introduction.
0: I think we all have a pretty good idea of what diversity is and why it is so critical. What is neurodiversity? How is it different? And what does it look like in the workplace?
1: Well, I think the word diversity is the word that we have to latch onto here. Simply, it just means that everybody's different. So in fact, no two people, we know this, are the same. Everybody has their own differences. Some we want to celebrate more than others. But as you were saying earlier with um, Tim Schriever and his comment uh, from the Special Olympics about disabilities, it's a lovely expression, a lovely way to talk about the fact that there are people who can see the world in a very different way to that that is seen by the corporate world. Uh, To give you a very real example, I was working in big pharma. uh, I'd been involved in a project team that had been running the most of the morning on a really difficult subject, and we thought that we'd pretty much cracked it. But we had in the room uh, somebody who is very much on the autism spectrum. I brought him into the conversation, and thankfully, everyone else who's in the project team was respectful. He hadn't spoken for most of the morning, and I just said, "What's your perspective on this?" He literally turned his head upside down and said, if you look at this upside down, you'll see that this, this, that, the other. And suddenly he gave Hmm. us a different understanding and a different version of what we've been trying to do. We we made some changes and suddenly the project took off and it just leapt into life. Um, So we celebrated his ability to see things from a different perspective. His diversity, neurodiversity, and the project was a much better um, outcome uh, than if we'd just had the standard corporate uh, logical steps that we'd gone through as a group up to that point.
0: In writing your book... You interviewed many people with many types of hidden disabilities and conditions, including Crohn's disease, HIV, even menopause, as well as anxiety, stress, and many other uh, mental health conditions. Your book covers a huge spectrum. How did you get so passionate about people with hidden disabilities and conditions?
1: It's one of those things that's a happy accident of COVID. Uh, I'd been a human resources consultant, uh, and I would just launched my own business before COVID struck. Uh, I found that it was very difficult to get any work, and so I turned to do something that I'd always wanted to do, which was to write about um, human resources in this first instance. And so the first book I did was all about a practical guide to human resources, an A to Z. And it featured somebody who was blind, somebody who was deaf, somebody who um, was ADHD diagnosed. And it's interesting that the the engagement and the debate around the book wasn't around how do you make people redundant or how do you uh, performance manage, uh, which I'd half expected. Instead, it was, Ted, you've put these in, but you didn't mention menopause, which affects the vast majority of women. You didn't talk about PTSD. You didn't raise um, anything more than a, a small amount of work on cancer. And it became obvious that there was a, a big audience and a huge sort of dearth of, of, of knowledge and, and a lack of understanding about this field. And so what I did was when someone said to me, you know, you didn't write about menopause. I said, would you be prepared to be interviewed? And I started a series of interviews. And as you say, I've now gone over 80 people that I've interviewed with different um, hidden disabilities, sometimes disabilities, um, disabilities, is is the word I'm going to start adopting. And In those interviews, I was just learning from them about the impact it had on them in the work environment and the things that their line managers or their organisations, their IT departments could do to make it easier for them. And I became more and more passionate as I went through, realising that there was this huge gap that some people, for example, were afraid to Uh, to to declare the diagnosis that they'd received because they were worried it might impact on their ability to get a promotion or to be taken seriously in a meeting. So, so much stigma, so much that needs to be worked on. and that's how I got engaged and started to become more and more passionate about it.
0: I love it. And I love how throughout your book, you invite people to become part of the conversation and to contact you. You put in your email address. And now uh, I understand you're writing your second edition to the book with even more input from more people.
1: Absolutely. And it, and it, one of my big learnings, because I'm, I'm still learning as I, as I go through this whole process, that the danger of putting a book out like this is that somebody comes up and says, you didn't mention my disease or you didn't mention my disability. (laughs) And I think this is really important for everyone who's listening to this. You've written about one person's version of endometriosis. My experience of endometriosis is really different. Would you be happy to interview me so that that can be reflected? Because no one person has exactly the same version of ADHD as somebody else. Uh, their, wa- their brains are wired differently, um, the impact it has on them, therefore the impact it has on their job is different in every case. So I in the next book I will have four or five different people that I've interviewed about ADHD or about autism and they will be describing their own journey, their own experience, how their diagnosis came about, the impact it's had at work, how work have accommodated and helped them. So we need to help Uh, Live managers, employers, um, understand, and colleagues working with these people, that um, that there are different types of ADHD. There are different types of autism. There are different types of all of these hidden disabilities, and that we need to just be thoughtful. and And the biggest single learning, I think, is never to assume you know something. Always to ask open questions, listen, and learn about how it affects that particular individual, then we can be inclusive.
0: Very good. So why is neurodiversity important for companies like HPE? Describe some of the the strengths of neurodivergent thinkers.
1: It's important for two big reasons, I think. Um, First is, if you're not reflecting the customers that you're working with, you can never have a great product. So by understanding uh, neurodiversity, you can start to understand what your the, the, your customers, your audience needs and requires and wants. Um, and then in terms of within your business, you now know, if you look at the, the various statistics that are produced by different countries, you'll see that there are a large number of people who have uh, neurodiverse cognitive um, issues. Uh, often, that that figure hovers around the ten percent mark. So you may well have in your employment at the moment ten percent of the people who are neurodivergent in some way. If you can truly harness their abilities, the special powers they have, the difficulties that they have, then you can become a much more productive environment. You can have a lot more fun together, uh, and you can start to exceed everybody's expectations around you right at the beginning of this conversation I mentioned that I'd worked with somebody in a project team that just gave me a completely different perspective about the 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 project that we're in the middle of doing Um, but this applies in lots of different cases when you're talking with people with neurodivergence and sometimes they'll say things to me like uh, quite recently I'd just written an advert Ted that really doesn't work for me that's quite scary the way you've written it I ran it through a system, I realised that it was actually quite macho, it needed to be toned down and suddenly this person was saying, yep, now I'm interested, now I'm thinking I might want to apply for the job, whereas before I walked straight away from it. So, so many little things that we can have an impact on, improve the people who apply, help those people get promotions and develop and grow in the organisation.
0: I understand that uh, the brains of some people are just wired differently, and I mean that in a positive way. Can you give a couple of examples from your research about how people with neurodivergent conditions think differently?
1: Yeah, and back to my earlier point, uh, with Bob, which is that each of them will think differently from somebody else. So there isn't a, a thing we can say, this is typical of everyone who's neurodivergent, because there's no such thing as typical. Okay?
0: Very important.
1: But once you've got through that, it's to then say uh, that many times the people that I've been talking to don't think in in a straight or logical line. I think that's the most common difference. When I've been interviewing people with ADHD or uh, who are autistic, I've had to allow, instead of, say, an hour and a half to two hours for the first interview, I've had to allow three hours my first interview. And that's because they'll often trigger something in their mind when I ask them an open question. And they'll talk about something that might not be immediately relevant, but for them is a very important um, place to go. The, The people who are straight line thinkers will think, oh, this is a railway siding. It's a waste of time. It's getting off the point. Where are you? But for that person with ADHD or autism, they are allowing their brain to explore all the different corners. And just occasionally, they'll find a real nugget that can then be applied. And it's where I see true innovation appearing. So I'm not talking about invention, which is discovering or finding something from scratch brand new. It's about taking an idea from one place and innovating by changing it to somewhere else. And that's what I've found neurodivergent people are extremely good at. They'll say something to you like, well, hold on a minute, Um, when I use that piece of software, it always asks these three questions and it forces me to do that. But what if you did it the other way around? They can see stuff that the rest of us don't see. They challenge and ask questions that the rest of us don't ask. And what you want to do is harness that, give them the opportunity to do it, and not keep forcing them to come up with a fast answer, allowing them time to develop an answer.
0: Giving them time is, is critical, right?
1: Absolutely. Um, Hopefully some of your audience will be aware of the concept of the pregnant pause. This is when you ask an open, maybe a difficult question. And instead of leading the candidate or the interviewee by giving them the answer they might want to give, you literally just remain silent. You smile. You look at them. You nod, you wait for them to say what they need to say. And for someone who's neurodivergent in some cases, that can be truly helpful because it shows you listening. It shows you care about what they're saying. And the second most important thing, of course, then is to follow up to say, I think what you've just told me is this. And then they have a chance to go, I didn't mean that, Ted. Or bingo, you've got it. No one else has got it, Ted. I'm so pleased you understand it.
0: Oh, that's great. In the the introduction of your book, you wrote, and I'm going to quote, A common frustration of people with unseen conditions is being told, but you look normal, and then having to justify that they have a disability. Many people with a hidden disability feel that requesting help is unreasonable and that they should just live with their condition and not say anything. What would you tell people listening who have a hidden disability and who might be trying to cope without telling anybody about it. I think
1: the simple thing is that for many, that is going to be absolutely fine because they found their own way around it. They deal with the problem in their own way. But for a small number, they will will realize if they think it through, that actually it takes up a lot of energy uh, to hide something and it reminds me a lot of the debate 20 years ago when people didn't want to talk about or disclose the fact that they were say gay mm-hmm. and they would they would work desperately hard to Go out the back door. Go to a pub next door or a bar next door to get changed. To then go and meet their partner. To to uh, but never to be seen by anybody. And they would come up with lots of different excuses and reasons why they couldn't attend something as a couple, because they didn't want the rest of their workforce to know that the actual partner was the same sex as them. Mm-hmm. That has been got through by education, by understanding, by people talking about it, by people coming out, by senior leaders uh, showing what's possible. And what I've seen is that we've started on that journey now with mental health. So we have significant business leaders saying, I have depression. It comes and goes in waves. This is how it affects me. And when they do, lots of members of the workforce then start talking about it as well you can't impose it on anybody. You always have to allow people to make their own decision about whether they want to share something like this or not. What I say to them is, have a th- have a good think about it. But in my experience so far, everyone who's talked to their line manager about it, with no exceptions, everyone who's talked about it with their line managers has had a positive response. Because it's, natural and it's deep inside people that they want to be supportive and helpful and I think part of that is that line managers on many occasions are just thinking I am myself just one event away from having a disability myself it could be when I'm driving home it could be that I have a stroke it could be I, I don't want everyone to be thinking fearfully about this but what I'm saying is All of us are quite close. We've all got a relative or a friend who has a seen disability, let alone an unseen disability. Um, So most line managers will be extremely supportive, helpful, um, and your working life will just improve no end once you've talked about it and got it out of the system.
0: Yeah, I I think it also just really allows your manager to, to better help you, to, to better support you. Uh, for instance, my friend with autism told me that even the temperature of an office or the light or noise in the office can affect her ability to concentrate and her engagement. So to be able to, for a, a manager to have that information, maybe they can make accommodations that, uh, that help that person be even more successful.
1: So some of the simplest accommodations are just things like telling somebody who's neurodivergent in advance what's going to happen. So, Anne, tomorrow we've got uh, a company meeting where we're going to be talking about the results from the last six months. And we're going to be showing some slides um, and some videos of clips with customers. Do you want to see those uh, beforehand so that you can then process them think about it and come with your own questions or would you like to just be delighted and surprised on the day um, and with we're just about to get some engineers in today they need to fix the air conditioning so you'll see people coming in with ladders banging around doing all sorts of things and then Anne might say mm, in that case would it be okay if I just work from home today? Because I mm-hmm. think it's going to be very disturbing and very difficult. And the answer, of course, from a good line manager is, of course, great idea. Uh, let's right. just work through what's best for you to work on. And then we'll, we'll, we'll know that you are be in a good place. What are some
0: common misconceptions we have about people with hidden disabilities? What are or some of the, the common mistakes that people make when we interact with people with hidden disabilities?
1: We'll never know what they are for each different person, Bob, because simply we don't know the background, the schooling, uh, the way that each individual was brought up. But, for example, I, when I was younger, was always told that ADHD was just about children that drank uh, too many sugary drinks, uh, were too excitable and were silly and naughty. So my understanding for years and years and years was that ADHD was resolvable if you didn't drink uh fruity drinks um and le- and you had and consumed less sugar. You know it's, it was crude and simplistic. Later on I discovered obviously that it's about the wiring of the brain. Uh it may even be a genetic link that it's about um the way in which they uh work with and respond to other human beings uh stimuli etc. So It's always, I think, about just thinking about all those different aspects that surround that.
0: So is it okay for a manager or even a colleague to ask another person with hidden disabilities questions about their disability?
1: From my perspective, the answer is yes, but I think it has to be framed in the right way. And it's not something that then should continuously be repeated What I've done in terms of supporting and helping somebody who's come through and said, I've just been diagnosed uh, with this uh, condition and I'm thinking about how to tell the team, I've said, well, I think the, the, the very best way would be if we have a team meeting and get some teas and some cakes in and... I introduce the fact that you're about to do this. I'll ask for people to just listen as you first talk about it. And then let's say that we take some questions there and then. Um, If there are any that you're uncomfortable with, you just say, I'd like to think about it and come back to you later. Um, And then. Naturally, what will happen is that people will go away. Some of them will research it on the internet. Some of them will come up with other questions. And maybe we just have a follow up at the beginning of the next meeting next week, where we just do a last little bit about it. But the lovely thing is, they will now be educated and understand uh, this um, issue that you have, the condition that you have. But also, um, they'll start to be more aware of it for other people that they meet in life, as friends, uh, in other places of work. So it'll be a great part of their own education as well. And in that way, people feel like they have some control over how and what is said. And I think that can be very important.
0: Yes, absolutely. Let's talk about how our words, although well-meaning, can be hurtful. Uh, One of the, the mistakes I've made in the past is to say to someone with a hidden disability, I don't think of you as a person with a disability. I meant it as a compliment, of course, but actually when we say something like that, you could be misunderstood as saying that you think being disabled is inherently negative and the person with the hidden disability may think you're less likely to be understanding of their limitations.
1: Bob, there are so many traps that people can fall into uh, on this. And I had a, one of my best ever conversations with, uh, with someone who was completely blind from birth, so never has had any sight, has no understanding of, of dark and light even, let alone colors, and has lived his life right from the word go as as being completely and utterly blind. And I would keep falling into what I thought was a trap by saying something like, now I've got a vision for this. then I'd feel guilty about using the word vision. Or I'd say, can you see my point of view? And, and I'm going, oh, I shouldn't have said the word see. That's unfair. And what he did was just helped correct me and set me free. And he just said, I use these words. We all use these words all the time. Just live with it and go for it. And Every so often you will make a mistake, you will say something like, I don't think of you as disabled. Um, It's you being natural, as long as you remain authentic. And when I point out something to you, if you ask for that feedback, that it's not right, that you attempt and do your level best to learn from it. So maybe on something like that. You'll, you'll just make a, one short apology, but please don't go on and on about it. Please just make a quick apology and stop, and then see if you can avoid doing it in the future. And that's the best way to go forward. Because frankly, we, I you know, this was uh, Aidan talking, I don't want to spend my whole life talking about my disability. I want to be talking about the projects, about the good stuff that we can do. And I want to get beyond that conversation. So let's just, find quick ways around it, accept that we all make mistakes, I'll make mistakes, and then we move on.
0: And commit to learn from it. That's good. Good point. How has COVID affected people with hidden disabilities? Uh, What might uh, they be experiencing as a lot of people are headed back into the office?
1: So I think it's been great. This is one of the few good things about COVID is that uh, prior to COVID, a Huge number of line managers believed that you had to be in the office to be um, successful, to be watched over, to be managed, um, to be effective in the role. And they would deny people home working opportunities, even to go and write up a project. They've been forced, as a consequence of people working from home, to recognize that actually productivity hasn't dropped. In many cases, it's gone back up. In turn, what that means is when someone now says, I've got something like IBS or uh, very heavy periods that are accompanying um, my uh, endometriosis or my fibroids, that it's not in uh, these days a problem to just say, okay, whilst you go through this little peak while well, there's a problem, why don't you just work from home and then we'll see you in the office or see you in the laboratory, whatever it is, as soon as you're recovered and back again. Um, so it's led to the life of many people being, uh, with hidden disabilities being a lot better. Now, there is a downside. There always is. The downside is that there are a lot of people who um, have been expressing a a real discomfort. And some of those are neurodiverse. Some are um, uh, one of the people I was talking to who is autistic was was saying that one of her traits is that anything that she sees um, as a government sign, she has to respond to. So this might sound trivial, but it gives you a glimpse into her world. She was saying um, that there'd been a poster on the wall with um, a picture of somebody's elbow, and it said "sneeze here." Now, the idea of the of the poster was to say, when you're sneezing with COVID, put your elbow up to your nose, um, mm-hmm. not your elbow. Sorry, your your inner arm of the elbow up to your nose and that will catch a lot of the droplets and mean that they won't go around that's assuming you're not wearing a mask as an autistic person she felt that it was a government instruction to go over to the poster and sneeze on the poster
0: Mm.
1: now for her and for me we laughed because she now realized how silly this was but she was complying with an instruction she is now And she was talking about she has a a real genuine fear of going on public transport. She has a real genuine fear of going into the workplace again because the government have shown her videos on adverts of circulating virus. And she's been told by her doctors that she's susceptible if she catches COVID, she could have respiratory issues and problems because she's also got secondary issues around um, her, her ability to breathe. So she's now very, very worried, and it's going to take a lot to help her come back into the workplace. Now, she might be at the extreme end, but there are all sorts of people on that sort of spectrum of concern um, that, are, that are that are struggling a little bit. But overall, COVID has been a good thing for hidden disabilities.
0: Are there benefits to uh, a person with hidden disabilities uh, disclosing that information to their managers?
1: In the majority of cases, yes. But the vast majority, you disclose to a line manager, the line manager then becomes supportive and helpful and helps make sure that the environment is at its best for you to be your creative, your most productive um, in the workplace. Uh, I've seen some brilliant examples of this from the very simple, someone saying, I'm dyslexic, or I'm colourblind, um, to their line manager, and then the line manager going, Jeez, right. Okay, we, we can get this sorted. I will fight IT for you to have the right to be able to use uh, Grammarly or Dragon Speaking Naturally to make it easier to ensure that you're not making errors uh, when you're writing script out, or that there's an audio translator so that you don't have to try and read from the page all the time, or that IT will allow you to have a blue screen rather than a green screen rather than a white screen, which is easier for you to be able to read the words off the page. Um, it, these these are the kinds of things where once you've disclosed, you can get so much help, uh, whatever it is. You know, a line manager doesn't necessarily write you off. Ninety nine percent of them will put their virtual arm around you and help guide you through because they'll want you to be successful. They will truly want to help you.
0: And I understand that, that people who disclose their disabilities to their managers are more than twice as likely to report that they are happy in their jobs.
1: I think that's probably the case. Certainly the experience of the people I've interviewed, that's absolutely the case. In some countries... Uh, By disclosing, they will also gain um, significant additional employment rights, which can be very useful uh, when it comes to making applications for significant or senior promotions or jobs, uh, or for uh, helping to explain why they need to have additional sick leave. So, there are reasons why sometimes disclosure can be extremely helpful to an individual from a legal perspective. Obviously, not in every country, uh, and that just depends exactly where you're based as to what happens in your part of the world.
0: What advice would you give managers when colleagues finally find the courage to speak up about their, their diagnosis?
1: The very first thing for a manager, I've said, is uh, find a private space, a place where you can go for a chat where you won't be interrupted. And just go and ask some open questions and listen and take some mental notes or physical notes, but find out what it is. So going back to a point I made earlier... Don't assume that you know what they have got. Find out from them what they've got. So you may have heard someone talking about PTSD on the television. Mm -hmm. Find out what PTSD is for them. It could be extremely different. And then ask them how you can support them, how you can help them, and then ask them do you want to involve your colleagues? Would it be helpful to involve your colleagues? So for example, if someone is, is diagnosed as being epileptic, it's almost essential that the uh, that colleagues are aware and that first aid is in the building and security are aware as well. But if it's something mm. like irritable uh, bowel syndrome, which leads to flares on a regular basis, the sudden need to either poo or urinate, then it might be that Uh, the person is is genuinely embarrassed about this and doesn't want everybody to know, but the fact that the line manager knows um, and there maybe can be a coded signal. So let's say we're in a meeting and Fred's got IBS and Fred's manager knows that if Fred ever says, uh, I've just had an emergency message, what that means is he needs to go to the loo. So what uh, the manager does is never challenge and say, what do you mean emergency message? You know, it just goes absolutely see in a moment and lets the person go. So that kind of coded messaging system can work really well in circumstances like that. There's a way of getting around it, in other words.
0: Let's talk about some of the even small adjustments that managers can can make. Uh sound or light sensitivity you talked about. So maybe offering a quiet break space or Letting people know when there's going to be a loud noise, like a fire drill, uh, it probably is a good idea to to give a little heads up on that. Offer noise canceling headphones if if they're available. All of these little things can make a big difference.
1: Yes, I mean uh, the 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 one that you mentioned, which I've heard lots of people. Uh, request is is noise cancelling headphones or sometimes it's just having a headphone that plays music that overrides everything else. This is because so many people are working these days in open plan offices um, and What they find is that the general hubbub and and chatter that's going on is very distracting. Or just simply, for some people, the noise of the photocopier. Or, would you believe it, the fridge, whenever it kicks in and its motor starts up, can be um, disturbing. The coffee machine starting to do a grinding process can completely throw uh, people with certain hidden disabilities. Let's talk
0: about uh, communication style um what are some things that we need to to remember when we are communicating with a person with hidden disabilities
1: it depends on the hidden disability there are some people for whom uh the most important thing is to always let them know in advance what's going to be happening so it's not to spring surprises on them so that they don't get caught out in a big general meeting and have a meltdown it it really is essential for them uh that this is handled in that sort of very decent way It, it it's actually quite a small thing, um, but it's, it's huge for them in terms of the impact mm-hmm. it has. So it's just being thoughtful and thinking through what's needed.
0: Yep. Yeah, being kind, being patient, those the, kind of the obvious things that uh, are important for everybody, yeah, right? Exactly. So just in closing, what are three things that neurodivergent team members would want all of us to know about them or would want us to do differently?
1: you know my answer already is going to be it depends on the neurodivergence and the uh the thing i think the main thing that they most people if they're disclosing or wanting to to talk about this that they would want you to know is how it affects them what people can do to make it easier for them um and if there are any specific things that really cause them difficulty or grief so, for example, going back to your point, if it is something like uh, a fire alarm that's unplanned, that there is a means and a, a response that's in place. So where we have the person I was just talking about who's autistic, who's in a workplace, uh, it, the moment a fire alarm goes, there is always a buddy that goes straight to that, to, to Peter, um, straight to Peter to say, it's OK, I'm with you. We're, we're going to exit the building uh, because we don't know whether it's a real fire or pretend fire or it's a drill. We're just going to get out of here. And, and that is, for that person, the most important thing possible.
0: Yes, very good. Very good. In closing, I know that your role as an HR representative in the past, you've had to interview many job candidates. As a company that values neurodiversity, what are some things that we need to keep in mind before and during an interview so that we're sending the right message to all team members?
1: One of the... the the things that i'm always concerned about is how do you make the workplace as inclusive as possible and it really starts from when you run the first advert if you can run an advert for a role or a vacancy or a project that is not for example uh written in a particularly masculine or macho style uh, that adds to say that you are confident around disability and always wanting to provide help that you've got people in IT and facilities on standby to make sure that everybody has the best experience of working in your organisation, that you talk about uh, disability, that you have uh, mental health first aiders, that you have well-being champions. These are things that will be great to for, for those people to hear and for them to think, do you know what, I might well apply for this, I might even enjoy working here, I might even want to stay here. Once you've agreed that you're going to uh bring some of those people in for interview, it's to just say to them before they come to interview, and you can say this to everybody, even those people who have no disability, it's just to say, please let us know if there's anything we can do to make the interview as easy as possible for you, and give some examples so that they know what kind of thing you're offering. So there are some people for whom the beginning of the day is really difficult, but the middle or end of the day is when they have their greatest mental faculty, they might choose to come in for a late interview. There are people who have um, something like lupus or um, fibromyalgia who get very tired very quickly. If you if you force them to go up the steps to the second floor for an interview, you might have just wiped out half their energy for the day before you've even started. So it's always offering the lift, if there's one, or an escalator uh, to make it a little bit easier for them. It's about thinking about things like, giving them the questions in advance so that if they are dyspraxic um, or dyslexic, they've had a chance to think, what is it that I need to be thinking about to give great answers on the day? If you're running tests, can you give an extra time for somebody who's going to struggle to even just read those because they're dyslexic, for example, or they have another hidden disability that we haven't yet mentioned? Are there things that we can do that ensure that they're not disturbed during an interview? So uh, the classic would be To make sure that the the sunshine isn't shining directly on their face or that they're not right next to a heater and this can apply for everybody we don't just have to think autism why shouldn't we be doing this for every candidate that we ever meet making sure that they're in the best possible circumstances to be able to give a great interview and when they disclose and talk about stuff the key thing to do is to keep saying just listen listen check your understanding listen again check your understanding and then show that you've listened by doing some of the stuff that they've asked for the help with.
0: That is so great. Really important stuff. Ted Smith, thank you so much for all of your important work.
1: Absolute pleasure. And thank you so much, Bob. The most important thing you guys are doing is raising awareness, getting people thinking about these things. Um, And the more that we can do that, the more that we can get this message out, the better place this will be for all of those people with hidden disabilities, for neurodivergence, etc.
0: All of us understand the value of diversity, and neurodiversity is an important part of that, as we work with more people with both visible and invisible disabilities. It would be great if we could truly value all people of all abilities, all gifts, where everyone not only gets invited to the party, but gets asked to dance. At HPE, we've developed some great resources that can help you, whether you're a manager or a colleague of someone with hidden disabilities. And there are resources for you if you are that person. First of all, I want to mention the Global Disabilities Network at HPE. If you're an HPE team member, you can send that team your questions or accommodation requests. They are there to help you. Also, remember that our Employee Assistance Program is always available to both team members and their families. As I mentioned, the language we use for all disabilities is important, and it evolves every year. There's a helpful Disability Language Style Guide, available free and online from the National Center on Disability and Journalism. And you can find that at ncdj.org slash style hyphen guide. If you work for HPE, you can find links to all of HPE's wellness resources online, accessible whenever you need them. If you're outside the U.S., you'll find those on HPE's global wellness page. If you're in the U.S., you'll find them on HPE Wellness. Thanks so much to my guest, Ted Smith, author of Hidden Disabilities and Conditions, Creating an Inclusive Workplace. And as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, please take care of yourself. Let's talk again soon.